Hi there. We're going to finish off the book today. Uh, we're on chapter 18 in the book Small Steps, The Year I Got Polio. And this chapter is called Back to School. When we got home this time, I was no longer a visitor, and we soon settled into a routine. Mornings were exercise time. The first day, Mother opened a paper bag and dumped a pile of marbles on the floor in front of me. Miss Ballard said you would know what to do, she told me. After my exercises, I practiced walking without my sticks. I decided to practice with a book on my head. Twice each day, I walked alone until I grew tired, trying to go one minute longer every session. The rest of the time, I used my sticks. Because they stuck out on each side, it was harder to walk with them at home than it had been at the sheltering arms. Even though Mother and Dad pushed the furniture against the walls, I had less room to maneuver. Still, I was in no hurry to discard my sticks. I felt far more secure with them than when I did when I walked alone, and they kept me from becoming too tired. Every afternoon, I studied. Without the distraction of four roommates, I did my lessons quickly, but I worried that I might be far behind my classmates. What if I didn't pass those final exams? I was allowed one visitor each day for 15 minutes. My friends took turns coming, but the visits seemed strained. Although we were genuinely glad to see each other, they could not help but stare at my walking sticks. Instead of giving me news from school, they wanted to hear what it was like to have polio. Did it hurt, they asked? Were you really paralyzed from the neck down? Did you almost die? What will it be like, I worried, when I go back to school? Will everyone stare at me? Will kids I don't even know want to hear the details of my time in the hospital? I felt like a freak in a sideshow, valued only because I was different. A week after my discharge, we returned to the sheltering arms for my first checkup. Miss Ballard was pleased with my progress. I could hardly wait to see the girls and catch up on all the hospital news. When we went up to room 202, Dorothy, Renee, and Alice were in school, and a new girl was in my bed. I talked a while with Shirley and left, feeling disappointed and slightly resentful that life at Sheltering Arms was rolling smoothly along without me. My second checkup was scheduled at 1 o'clock, so we went early and visited in room 202 while the girls ate lunch. During my first weeks at home, I frequently sat by the window and watched for the mailman, hoping for news from the sheltering arms. I wrote regularly to room 202. Renee and, Denorth and Dorothy wrote back often. Alice wrote occasionally. Shirley could not write by herself, but the letters from the other girls always said, P.S. Shirley says to tell you hi. Oddly, I didn't listen to the Lone Ranger after I went home. Tonto and Silver now belong to a different part of my life. After four checkups, Miss Ballard said I didn't need to come back for a whole month. When I arrived that time, Dorothy said, I won't be here the next time you come. I'm going home on Saturday. Did the new braces work, I asked? Dorothy shook her head no. My brothers are building a ramp so that I can get in and out of our house. I was glad she was going home and sad that she would always need a wheelchair. 
When it was time for us to leave, I hugged Dorothy, wondering if I would ever see her again. We promised to write each other often, and that promise held back my tears. We had good intentions, but the letters between me and my roommates slowed in both directions. There were two new girls in room 202 now. About two weeks after she was discharged, I got a letter from Dorothy. I wanted to leave, sheltering arms more than anything, she wrote, but now sometimes I wish I could go back. Isn't that silly? It wasn't silly to me. We were safe at the sheltering arms, cocooned in room 202, where everyone understood what it was like to have polio. Getting around in the normal world, even in our own homes, was more difficult than hospital life. In April, I got permission to return to school. I was still on my walking sticks, but I could go up and down stairs if I held the railing with both hands and had someone carry my sticks for me. I was slow because both feet had to touch every step, but I could make it. Dad bought me a backpack for my books. I was to start by attending only in the mornings. If I could manage that, I would gradually work up to a full day. On my first day back, I was so nervous, my hands began to sweat, and I was afraid the sticks would slip out of my grasp. What if people never stopped staring? What if no one would carry my sticks up and down the stairs for me? What if I couldn't get around the crowded halls and fell? Worst of all, what if I discovered that I was hopelessly behind all the other kids in every class? When I walked into my first period class, which happened to be English, the students whistled and clapped and cheered, welcoming me back. All morning, kids begged for a turn to carry my sticks up or down the stairs. They offered to help me with the backpack. They walked ahead of me in the halls, clearing space. Without knowing it, I had become a celebrity. Since I was the only person in Austin to get polio that year, the whole town had followed my progress while I was in the hospital. It seems all of Austin had been pulling for me, hoping that I would walk again. Rather than falling behind in my classes, it quickly became clear that I had remained equal or even pulled slightly ahead. By the end of the morning, I felt sure that I would pass the final exams. My last class of the morning was chorus practice. Thanks to all those songs in the dark, my singing voice was improved, even though I now used my stomach muscles rather than my diaphragm. As I found my seat and placed my sticks on the floor beside me, I remembered how my skirt had jumped because of my twitching thigh muscle on homecoming day and how I collapsed in the hall when chorus ended. I had been gone for seven months. I had been gone a lifetime. Although I returned on walking sticks, moving slowly and taking small steps, I knew that in many ways I was stronger than when I left. I opened my music and began to sing. And that was the end of our story. There is an epilogue, which I will read to you now, telling us uh, the current information about everybody in the story. 
Dorothy was carried in her wheelchair up and down the school steps each day until she graduated from high school. She got married, had seven children, and now has 11 grandchildren. She plays the auto harp, sang for a while with her own band, and has written songs. She is the senior receptionist at Courage Center in Minneapolis, a rehabilitation center for people with physical disabilities. Renee has also finished high school and led an active life. For many years, she wrote a weekly column for her local newspaper, and she researched and wrote a history of her church. Alice, too, graduated from high school. She moved to a home for people with disabilities. She was secretary for the United Handicapped Federation in St. Paul, Minnesota, and sang in a choir until her death from cancer in 1993. Shirley lost her battle with polio. She died in 1955, just five years after our time together. Tommy, the Lone Ranger buddy, disappeared from my life after I left University Hospital. I never found out if he got weaned from the iron lung or not. Dr. Beavis took pediatric training at the Sister Kenny Institute, where he helped hundreds of young polio patients. He then went on to a distinguished career as a pediatrician. He is now retired and living in New Hampshire. Peg Schultz became Peg Carrot when I met Carl, met and married Carl Carrot. We have two children, Anne and Bob, and I wept for joy the day they got their first polio vaccinations. My d- dream of being a writer never faded. I wrote short stories, magazine articles, plays, and adult books before discovering that what I like best is writing books for young people. I have published 32 books, all but two are for kids. Perhaps I like to write from the viewpoint of a 12 or 13-year-old because I remember that time in my life so clearly. Although I never became a veterinarian, many of my books have animals in the plot. My husband and I volunteer at our local Humane Society for Animals, and we share our home with two cats and a dog. The animals go along in our small motorhome when we travel across the United States for my talks at schools and library conferences. My main hobby is reading. I also enjoy pumping our player piano and browsing in antique shops. We live in a log house on 10 acres of forest near Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State. Our property is a wildlife sanctuary where our four grandchildren love to watch for deer, elk, rabbits, and many kinds of birds. Forty years after the events of this book, I began to have muscle aches, foot cramps, back pain, and fatigue. I was shocked to learn that my problems were caused by my old adversary, polio. The condition is called post-polio syndrome. Thousands of former polio patients in the United States, including Dorothy and Renee, are experiencing similar difficulties. Decades after their original illness, polio survivors are reluctantly returning to the walking sticks, braces, and wheelchairs that they fought so hard to be rid of. All these years, I have drawn inner strength from my victory over polio, feeling that if I could beat polio, I could handle anything. It was painful to discover that the enemy was not vanquished, as I had thought, but had merely gone undercover, waiting to strike once more. 
My battle with polio is not yet over. When my doctor recommended physical therapy, I burst out laughing. Here it comes, I thought, the return of torture time. So far, the effects of the post-polio syndrome are manageable for me. I rest more and say no to some activities that I previously enjoyed. Aided by exercise and the best weapon of all, determination, the battle continues. At least this time I don't have to play the accordion or pick up marbles with my toes. The end. Oh, thank you.